You have so many political and social positions controlling orthodox biblical teaching. There are people out there who they're willing to kind of split fellowship with people who they agree with on the Bible because they're suspicious that the guy doesn't hold eight out of 10 of these particular cultural, political, social opinions that this other guy has. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. How many times have you read a book? If you really enjoyed it, maybe two or three times. The book was of particular interest to you, and it impacted your life in a meaningful way. And if anyone asked you about the details in the book, you could give some qualified answers and descriptions. On this Level Paths podcast, Biblical Literacy and Interpretation. As Christians, we hinge our worldview and faith on our knowledge of God's Word. But how prepared are we to defend the scriptural texts that define who we are? Dr. Brian Vickers is a professor of New Testament interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamblin are talking with Dr. Vickers about how he values biblical literacy enough to bring it back to his hometown. Here's Rex. Welcome back to another Level Paths podcast where we are looking for the glory of God and clear view. We're here in the hills and valleys of North Central Appalachia, South Point, Ohio at Tri-State Bible College. Uh, my brother and friend Matt Shamblin is with us. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing well. Uh, looking forward to our podcast today. Looking forward to talking with Dr. Brian Vickers. Dr. Vickers and I really have never met but we have a history that goes back. He and I are both from the Charleston area of West Virginia. Uh, our paths crossed as, as I moved to Kentucky and became more acquainted with the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Brian is the professor of New Testament interpretation. He's a graduate of Southern Seminary as well. Dr. Vickers, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you, Matt and Rex. It's great to be here. Uh, I just want to say right off the bat that I already know this is a legit uh, podcast because you guys say Appalachian and Appalachia. You don't say Appalachia. Amen. Right? A sure sign that somebody is not from there is if they say Appalachia. It's funny is when they say Apple. Uh, So it's interesting. You are the professor of New Testament interpretation at the flagship Southern Baptist Seminary, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. How does a guy from Charleston, West Virginia, end up at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary? I guess on one level, from a whole bunch of things happening that I never planned on. My dad Lloyd, he owned a, an auto shop and gas station, right? When those two things used to be combined. I grew up working in an auto shop. I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home. We were at church all of the time. We had Sunday school and then church, and then you went back to church, and then you went back on Wednesday. We were always there. I met my wife in VBS. That was my whole life growing up. I mean, in Sunday school, we were constantly memorizing the Bible. We used to have something called sword drills. I knew tons of Bible, not because I was great at it. It's just if you hear something all the time, it sticks, right? But 
To say I didn't show much interest in church would be an understatement. I really was not interested in going. It didn't take long for that to really become kind of a, a lot of tension between my mom and dad and I. But, you know, I kept right on going until it was you know, getting near the end of high school. Uh, and then I went off to college and I went off to music school. I live right downtown in Boston. I went to a school there, a music school there called Berkeley College of Music. You know, I moved back home after working at my dad's shop for a while, made my way up to WVU. I guess it was my junior year. A friend of mine took an elective class on, of all things, Paul the Apostle. And we just started talking about this all the time. You know, one of the things that people didn't know about me at the time is that most nights I was lying wide awake with the Bible flowing through my head, hymns thrown through, flowing through my head, the reality of life without Christ, eternal life without Christ, eternal death, I should say, without Christ, the reality of all that. Also, just sort of the memories and images of all the people I grew up with, most of all my parents. And that was sort of my life every night until one evening, thanks be to God, and we were having this conversation and you know, I just broke and I just stood up and said, I got to go. And I, I ran home, this middle of the night, I called my dad and you know, he calmed me down some and prayed with me. And the next day we went home, it turned out, it didn't turn out, but it was a spring break. I got home the minute I pulled up to the driveway, my dad would met me at the car. He was waiting for me, picked me up out of the car, basically. My dad was a, a big guy and uh, just wouldn't let go of me. He couldn't even talk. He grabbed my bags and I went up to see my mom and she said, your dad's been sitting there since the sun came up this morning, looking out the window, waiting for you. A month later, I think, both myself and my roommate, we'd been best friends since high school. We were baptized together right there at Randolph Street Baptist Church. And, you know, I just immediately started reading books on the Bible and theology, anything to get my hands on. I just liked to do it, but I didn't have big plans. I lived in England for a while, worked for a Christian charity there that I got connected with through Randolph Street, came back home and did a pastoral internship. We did a lot of things, but on Thursday, we met to talk specifically about all this reading I got assigned. I started preaching, not well, but preaching nevertheless. Over time, I started getting invited to come preach out you know, in various sort of churches, especially sort of down south of Charleston. I can remember going a lot to this place. Uh, it's called Clayton Baptist Church. Clayton is a suburb of Hinton, which is a suburb of Beckley. And that's what I wanted to do, right? So uh, Denise and I, we, uh, we started dating during that time. And in no time flat, we were married. And I just wanted to stay in West Virginia and preach when I could be involved in ministry at Randolph Street. But, you know, it was pretty clear that the Lord was doing something in my life, directing me in, in maybe towards full-time ministry. Uh, in God's providence, we went to Wheaton College, where I did a, an MA in Bible and theology, thinking, when I'm done, I'm done. Well, the Lord had something else in store for me, which turned out to be several more years of school, <laughs> which included then coming to Southern Seminary. I mean, I didn't grow up Southern Baptist. I didn't know anything about the SBC other than it existed. But I came down here to do my PhD. And I didn't really walk around Southern's campus thinking, man, the best job in the world would be to have an office here. I just didn't think that way. But, you know, God had something else in store for me where I did end up actually, you know, training and helping train people for ministry, train men for ministry. 
uh, but it ended up doing it as a professor at Southern Seminary. What an incredible story to go from one of the premier schools of music in the world to back working at your dad's garage and then saved of all places at West Virginia University <laughs> and then end up preaching, <laughs> you say in a suburb of Beckley and end up at Southern Seminary. And so you've been a part of the Academy of Biblical and Theological Studies at Randolph Street. Why does that matter to you being involved, going back to Charleston, West Virginia, and work with Southern Seminary in conjunction with the Academy of Biblical and Theological Studies? Why be a part of that? Why does that matter? If you have the, the, the resources, including the people, to be able to train people for ministry and, you know, whatever that may look like in a healthy, thriving local church with the intention of ministering to and reaching that area. I think that's like an ideal sort of situation where you can do really close discipleship, where the needs of the people are not just sort of ideas, but you're there face to face with them all the time. You have a good idea of what it's like there. But to be able to do biblical and theological education in that kind of setting, which obviously not everybody can do and not, it can't be done every place. And there's lots, you know, you know, I'm not speaking against seminaries, but that's what draws me to it. What draws me to it is in my sort of initial kind of dream of what I wanted to do. It was that where guys want deeper, let's see, they want to study more deeply in the scriptures and how to, how to preach them and apply them, interpret them but they can't, for all kinds of legitimate reasons, can't get away. I wanted to be able to maybe fill some sort of gap in whatever way I could. And then also at the same time, have the opportunity to be doing ministry myself. So I think that's what attracts me to what they're doing there at Randolph Street so much is it is almost exactly the kind of thing I had in mind of wanting to do myself. Well, that resonates with us at Tri-State Bible College. Our mission is to offer access in and from Appalachia. Most of our students are between the ages of 25 and 50. And they're typically already in ministry, already got a family in many cases and have realized, you know, I just need a little bit of training. But then 50% of our students go on and continue their education too. So they get a little taste of it and then they, they keep going. Let's talk with Dr. Vickers about biblical interpretation in Appalachia. Here's some of the things that we face a bit. Uh, as we try to do biblical higher education ministry training in Appalachia, we encounter biblical illiteracy. It's not limited to Appalachia, right? It's it's everywhere. I mean, I have students from all over the country, even all over the world. Biblical illiteracy is not geographical. Mm-hmm. So I often find that my international students are well beyond in terms of biblical literacy a lot of my American students. Here's what I suspect. Let's just say that you come up in a church or, you know, you're at least somewhere close to a church. You, you grew up sort of in the culture, if you will, whether, you know, whatever that might mean. I think it's easy for us to assume we know the Bible because we talk about it so much. Mm. It's really important that we claim things about the Bible that we do. It's vital that we you know, confess that the Bible is inerrant, inspired, the very word of God. But I think sometimes because we have such a high degree of 
respect for the Bible and what it is as the word of God. And we know that we, we can sort of just sort of take it for granted that we know it. You can be really deeply grounded in a theological sort of tradition, right? And that when you're talking about the Bible, what you might end up actually doing is sort of talking about that theology, but not really talking about it in terms of the Bible, other than like the Bible verses that kind of support it. We don't know the Bible as well as we think we do. Mm. You know, there's that old phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. Of course, we don't have contempt for the Bible, but I think sometimes we kind of mistake familiarity with the Bible with actually knowing the Bible. Hermeneutics, biblical interpretation is a class I teach all the time at Southern. And I tell my students all the time, hey, look, I can teach you, here's five steps for interpreting Paul's letters, for instance. However, as good as that may be, and as much sort of uh, use as that has, and it does have a lot of use, if you don't actually know the thing you're, report, you're, you're interpreting, then no matter how good those five, six, seven steps are, right, they're not actually maybe grounded in anything, and they can go off in any direction, yeah. right? And so I just tell my students, like, look, the thing that you need most to be a good biblical interpreter, you already have, and that is a Bible, And the more we claim about the Bible and what it is, the more we should be people who know it and not just not just know about it. That's one of the great challenges, I think, in reaching Appalachia is that it is Christianized. There's the the effects of a Christian culture from the past still linger. You can still hear that come into into the verbiage, into the into the conversation. And that can almost mask a familiarity with scripture that's actually not there. I see authors on all things Appalachia contend for this, that it's, we essentially make our religion our own. Well, you can make your religion your own and yet it not be any religion at all, any any religion that's faithful anyway. Right. And just because people know the name Jesus doesn't mean that they know the Jesus of the Bible. Just because they know the verbiage of salvation doesn't necessarily mean that they know what it means to repent of their sin and by faith turn to the Jesus of the scriptures. You know, it's a little bit like Nazareth, isn't it? They are familiar with Jesus. They don't have faith in Jesus. It's so absent of faith that he can't do a work there. You know, I got a pool at my house and there's parts to that pool. But when you actually get in and change the pump, you take out the old pump and you have to wrestle with, okay, how does this new pump fit? Then you know, okay, I know this now and because I have experienced it, I've done it. And I think that's something of what we're talking about here. We know that we're part of a system, you know, we're Baptists, we're Reformed or we're you know, we're Methodists or we're we're this, but do we know scripture and do we know the Jesus of the scripture? What happens here is we start to talk about this. We get a little bit uncomfortable as Appalachians and we start to get suspicious. Let's talk about suspicion and biblical interpretation. When we get scared, we end up leaning back on something that I call superstition. What did grandma say? Sometimes what grandma said was right. I mean, my grandma was the most influential witness in my life, but there are some things that grandma said where it's like, that is not in the Bible. Suspicion exists, right? For good reasons. If you're from Appalachia, right? Historically, 
there's good reasons to be suspicious, especially of people who maybe come in and they tell you they have all these answers for you or ways it's going to improve your life. And kind of like if, if, if somebody suspects, like, for instance, that a guy coming in has been formally trained theologically, there is immediately some suspicion. Let's give credit where credit's due. We all know the stories because they are real about guys who come in from seminary with big ideas. They have an agenda before they take the time to just preach the gospel, get to know people, build up a relationship with them, develop a life with them, a gospel life with them. Before trying to do any of that, they come in and say, all right, number one, we got to get the church role out. And number two, we got to we got to talk about how we're going to govern this church. You know, we got to redo this church constitution, or if you have a confession, or you know, whatever you might, whatever documents you got on, to where it kind of comes in saying, you know, basically everything you all have done here is wrong, and I'm here to fix it. Mm. On the other side of it, though, there can be kind of a an assumption that anything new is immediately immediately kind of put in that category right? Because we don't like new things. And we, we also don't like hearing that maybe things we've been doing are wrong or could be improved. In other words, it cuts both ways. There are things that we have. We, we have blind spots culturally. We have blind spots and we need to be able to break out of that. I mean, we can't only be our culture, whatever that culture is. And we can't just assume that just because somebody's talking about something in a, in a maybe a different way or some, something new, that they're just out to get us. You know, when I was a kid growing up at Ohio Furnace Enterprise Baptist Church, I remember some things that were said, how the Bereans and the Book of Acts were lifted up because they searched the scriptures to test it whether things are true. Yeah. I remember the call to be someone who can handle the words to study, to show myself approved as a good workman, handling the scriptures appropriately. I remember there being an invitation to do these things to youth, to children. When we talk about suspicion, there was this almost like preparation from the youngest ages to know the word of God so that you can test things. Yeah. But now what I think there is, is there still the suspicion, the testing without the first, the former? You see this manifest in multiple ways, whether it's King James onlyism teaching that is really a rejection of biblical justification. Um, you can see these things and you hear preaching about the Bible, but not preaching the Bible. You can hear, we need to hold on to the Bible without ever opening the Bible. You know, it's you open the Bible, pull out a Bible verse that really endorses my gripe for the day, <laughs> and then never preach the Bible, never explain the scriptures. And so I do think that there's some justification for that. You know, it's so difficult when you talk about these things because we talk about them kind of as in a blanket way. Yeah. Reality, that's part of why we've done the podcast is to show that there are faithful brothers doing good work across Appalachia. Dr. Vickers himself, this is a man who was exposed to the word of God throughout his life. And the Holy Spirit used that throughout his life in order to draw him to faith at 20 years old, to do more, uh, to serve him with his life. And I think that all of us can give testimony to that at some level. And so what I'm thankful for is that God uses his word to draw people to faith 
even when it doesn't come from the lips of the most faithful, we can look through church history and see some of the greatest men and women of church history came to faith. Maybe we could say it this way, ignorantly reading the scriptures and yet the Holy Spirit used the word of God in incredible ways. Coming up on the Level Paths podcast, Dr. Brian Vickers explores how today's political climate is impacting the church. The Tri-State Bible College Fall 2022 semester begins on Monday, August 29th. TSBC offers a variety of modalities, including residential classes, resident modular classes with Zoom integration, and distance education online. Generous donors to Tri-State Bible College have made three new scholarships available, the Bivocational Scholarship, the Philemon Scholarship for Loan Relief, and the Koinonia Scholarship for Matching Funds. Apply today at tsbc.edu. stay in contact with a lot of guys who are doing ministry back home. And one of the things I think that's been challenging and people listen to this podcast or ministry will know this is that I think increasingly you have so many political and social positions attached to, or maybe controlling Orthodox biblical teaching. There's been lots of reasons for the past couple of years, right? That there's been so much cultural and social pressure, right? Put, put on the church and put on Christians. But one of the things, unfortunately, sadly, that it's revealed is that, you know, there are people out there who they have good intentions, but they are really, I mean, they're willing to kind of split fellowship with people who they agree with on the Bible, you know, because they're suspicious, you know, that guy doesn't hold eight out of 10 of these particular kind of cultural, political, social opinions that, you know, this other guy has. And instead of trying to settle these things biblically, and let's go back to the scriptures, let's look at what is required for us to hold on certain issues. What is Christian freedom? You know, and any number of things. Rather than doing that, right, it becomes sort of splitting along these political, cultural lines. Now, I'm not saying politics and culture and things aren't important. People always go to that extreme. I'm just saying, like, if there was ever, don't put the cart before the horse, that's got to be it. You know, growing up, as much as I love the uh, tradition of the church I grew up in, I mean, they were hardwired to particular political views. And even I knew that as a kid. Yeah. And it was really public. Like nobody was under any false assumptions about where people at that church landed theologically, politically. I can remember specific tracks that were based, they were just politics. And they would be sitting right there beside the four spiritual laws or some such thing, as though those things are equal. And to be wishy-washy on the political thing really uh, raises questions about your Christian faith, basically, Mm. in places where you do have still a general Bible culture. I didn't say a biblical culture, but a Bible culture. Those things can get so wedded together you can't just sort of fix it by telling people how to fix their politics or how they need to, you know, ease up or how they need to ramp it up. 
I mean, the answer is, and this is what sort of drove uh, my desires as a kid and still does, is to actually return to the scriptures. I can remember guys growing up, these guys, they were laymen and their Bibles were filled with notes. They knew these things and they could talk about them because they were motivated to know the Bible somehow in lots of places that's kind of gotten away from us where we just sort of make this assumption, well, we know the Bible and we know what we are in this church. Then we sort of branch out from there, but we, we can never assume that we've ever got the Bible covered. The great news is, is we all have sitting on our shelf, maybe sitting in front of us right now. We all have the thing that we need the most to address this. And that is the word of God itself under the power of the spirit working in our lives and hearts. We can't just keep waiting for the day to come when we kind of regain our Bible literacy. The great news about if you feel like you're biblically illiterate, great news is you want to be a better interpreter of the Bible. You can start fixing that today. When was the last time you picked up a book that wasn't the Bible and you just jumped in the middle of it, read a few lines, and then started telling people what's in there? That time was never any book. It would never cross your mind just to kind of be familiar with like this passage, that passage, this passage, that passage, and then just sort of talk and make all sorts of connections between the passages you know. Uh, you wouldn't. You'd you'd read it and you would reread it and you would reread it. I could give a bunch of examples of like really popular, well-known verses that have kind of taken on a life of their own. And what people say about them aren't wrong. But there's so much more that we could be saying about some of the verses we love the most if we would really honestly just read them where they are in their context, the way we would read anything. The Bible is not like any other book, but thanks be to God, God communicates to us in this book in words and language that we can understand. So as we think about Appalachia, the impact of faithful interpretation in Appalachia, biblical literacy matters. Often in Appalachia, there's been all of these voices, as we've heard, who come from the outside of Appalachia looking in and saying, we've come to rescue you, we've come to help, which has created this suspicion in the world. Yeah, It's taken the hope from a hope of Christ and to a hope of that what we can do, what we can produce. I think of, uh, as you were talking, I thought of a quote from Carl F.H. Henry. He said, many are saying, what has the world come to? And he said, yet we say, look who has come into the world. Yeah. Uh, that our hope is in Christ and the hope of Appalachia is in Jesus Christ. Number one, we need to know the book that we are always talking about. Kind of where the rubber hits the road is whether we're able to kind of communicate the message of that book to other people who are not exactly like us, who might cause us to raise an eyebrow if they walked into our church. If you're living like, say, in Charleston, you can't just expect to have orthodox teaching and faithful preaching and then to have people from the east or west ends of, of Charleston just to show up at your church one day to see what you got. If you go out into the mountains, same thing. You can't expect some guy living down in a holler somewhere just to come find you. Hmm. There are people out there, whether it's a Bible culture or not, there are people out there, they need the word of life. We can't just be about Appalachia in theory and only talk about things that we, that is people involved in ministry need to do to fix things, but we can't wait for people to come to us. 
And one of the great things about training and doing ministry in a church context is that you have an eye on what life is like for those around you. And let's be, let's be really, really honest. There's never really been a time where people in Appalachia as a whole are flourishing Mm. and it's not getting better. There's lots of places in West Virginia that are hard to go to. If I went there right now, especially certain times of the day, I would not be super welcome. But nevertheless, our call, you know, our, our job is to not just have the truth, not just know the Bible. We got to stop thinking so much about how do we change those people uh, and just how do we get them out of this or get them out of that instead of how do we get the word to them and then through the ministry of the word, then get them out of these sort of hopeless situations that they're in, whether it's addiction or just devastating poverty that they can't overcome. They don't have an opportunity, right? There's lots of people don't have the opportunity now just to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They're not in places where they have a future, where they can, if they would just get another job uh, or if they would just get another sort of minimal wage job, then they can fix it themselves. They can't. They're fallen human beings who are trapped in a fallen world in really brutal conditions. We know we talk about going to like third world type countries. I mean, and I'm not saying Appalachia is a third world country. I'm just saying is you don't have to travel anywhere to find people who are hopelessly lost in darkness in just sort of overwhelming circumstances. That's the challenge, but that's also the promise, I think, of ministry in Appalachia. Our calling as believers isn't to administer a solution to everyone's problems. Our primary job is to make sure the Word and the Gospel is effectively impacting their lives. Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute exist as a resource, and no matter what need you may have, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamlin want you to reach out to them today. Rex Howe is the president of Tri-State Bible College. You can contact him by email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. And you can reach out to Dr. Matt Shamlin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute by email. It's matt.shamlin at tsbc.edu. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute. 